You will be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I tend to interrupt people quite a lot, so. You're Italian. I know. <laughs> you can't even see my hands, can you? I must admit, I haven't actually checked out the stylish freelancer yet just because I really don't want to know how unstylish I am. Well, that's the thing, yeah. Now, I, I spent the last two and a half days indexing my book on my own, and I'm glad to be able to talk to human beings. <laughs> Let's get going then. This is Troublesome Terps, the podcast that goes boldly where no podcast has gone before. On the virtual catwalk for today's show, we have the classically groomed and ever stylish Alexander Drexel. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. Hi there. <laughs> and I am the impeccably styled, of course, Jonathan Downey. And yes, you're right, that t-shirt does look really good on me this evening. Today, we have our very first special guest on the Troublesome Terps podcast. She is the marketing virtuoso to the translation and interpreting industries, fashion maven and branding connoisseur Valeria Aliperta. Welcome to the show, Valeria. Oh, hello, guys. I know you're already nervous. <laughs> Very nervous indeed. Yes. How are you? Going to the dentist. <laughs> so let's let's just uh, jump straight into the the podcast. And as far as I know, the two of you uh, saw each other in real life, as it were, not too long ago, uh, because you attended the same conference. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? We did, yes. And uh, actually, we met several times before that. So it's a uh, yeah, more than once. So it's it's real life, real life. For real, yeah. <laughs> Devirtualization. Yeah. I, I think we, we both met in the Translation and Localization Conference in Warsaw, which is probably the most relaxed conference that I've ever been to. Um, I mean, this year, I, I'll let you into a fashion secret. I was going to wear a, a suit and tie, okay, because I thought, you know, I'm, I'm doing something quite deep and dangerous. I'll wear a suit and tie. But in the morning, I woke up and realized that the zip on my suit trousers had split. Oh and realized that no one wanted to, me to present with my flies down. No. So I went with my second option, which was kind of like a stripy shirt and jeans. And I, I think I pulled it off okay. I, Valeria was next up after me, and I was waiting for her to make a comment about my fashion. But I got away with it, probably only because I'm a guy. But there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that. So you have a chance of making a comment now, Val. <laughs> Yes, I think that, you know, um, I still need to analyze your style, so you won't be pleased, probably. <laughs> but um, uh, I need to really just, um, you know, breathe and find the time to analyze everything, <laughs> split the hair, you know, do that kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I will do it eventually, so be prepared. But um, you've been pardoned for now. So um, <laughs> I wasn't feeling very well in Warsaw, so that's why I sort of skipped, you know, any comments <laughs> that I could make. But I did like your stripy shirt. I did notice because I was wearing stripes as well. So it was quite coordinated and willingly. Matching outfits. That's yeah. great. <laughs> Valeria, I think, I think the conference was organized by someone you know very well. I do. Uh, yes. which, uh, which, uh, which is uh, Marta Stalmasak. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the conference and, and how the conference um, came to be, as it were? 
So this is the second time I attend, um, and I happen uh-huh. to be a speaker for the second time um, with something very different. I normally speak branding, and you know that. But this time mm-hmm. I also um, had the chance to speak about something I'm, I'm really close to, which is interpreting. So that was um, in tandem with um, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. We did quite a, quite a good combination of topics, which were not clashing, but quite combining. Um, yeah, the conference is, um, it's interesting because it's a, it's in a very nice venue, which, um, you wouldn't consider as a very important thing, but actually it is. And as someone who goes to many, many conferences for work or pleasure, uh, I can say it's not easy to find a nice place where they have Nespresso machines. (laughs) That's important for you, right? That was quite pleasant. I mean, if the coffee coffee break is rubbish then you're not particularly pleased afterwards or before or during so actually it was quite nice and um the conference was varied and there were uh, quite a varied attendancy so from newbies to to more experienced translators or people who were going into translation so it's quite um, a wide range of um, subjects who attend and i believe that's quite relaxed as Jonathan was saying because it's um it's a nice environment the the venue is pleasant and it's very practical very close to the airport so in terms of contents I think this one was uh, focused on various topics I was glad that actually interpreting was included because Mm. uh, it's something that is never really considered i don't know why that is i i've heard from a couple of conference organizers that on the one hand it's difficult to get people who are happy to talk to interpreters because you know interpreters are really picky about speakers um and on the other hand and and this i think is an industry problem that apparently is very difficult to get interpreters to book themselves to go to an event you know just in case the the job of their dreams comes up um, and it's funny because on the one hand, I've heard interpreters complain we don't get enough conferences and CPD opportunities. And on the other hand, we've, I've heard organizers complain, you know, we we create sessions for them and 12 people come. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it is good to see TLC, which I'm going to name the conference because it's easier. It's good to see TLC being able to tread that line. And I think... Um, Last year, there was a little bit more on the personal social skills side. This year, it was slightly more technical. Um, But I think um, what I am glad to see is that most speakers now have given up this, we're going to talk at you for 25 minutes thing. I think most talks I went to had some kind of hands-on practical, tell me something, put your hand up, or in my case, stand stand around the room and be very honest. Um, Everyone had that kind of practical hands-on feel to it and I think that's what makes TLC such a different conference is you you need to wear comfortable shoes because someone's going to get you standing up and doing an exercise. <laughs> yeah I agree with you entirely um, um, I think that sometimes um, well, most of the time in this in this kind of events is it's good to be a bit down to earth and uh, try to involve people I, I try to do that all the time but it's, it really depends on the audience. Some some people can't be involved or, you know, they expect you to be lecturing them. But I think that especially for TLC, and I, and I could name a few other events actually where I've been over the years where the hands-on component was stronger. Um, but you can see clearly uh, Mr. Mashak's mark on this, on this thing. Oh, yes. Let's do hands-on, I'm going to time you kind of thing. So... <laughs> That's definitely what she does, and uh, you could feel the footprint of, of on it. So 
Um, it's good. Yes, it's a good thing. And, and regarding interpreters being a bit wary of events or a bit even standoffish, mm. if you want, or we can say that because mm. it's two of us in the room. Um, <laughs> I believe, you know, it's, um, it's something that needs to be changed. And there's so many things that even interpreters who are seasoned or have been working fairly frequently need to, to learn or even just confronting each other oh, yeah. and sharing practices like we did the other day. Mm. It wasn't just um, me talking to them, telling them something new. It was actually sharing practices and saying, look, we do a hell of a job, really. So sometimes it's important to do that. And um, it's good. Yeah, it's good practice. And and while we're on while we're on the subject of interpreters not making it to things, can I just point out that for this podcast, our friend Alexander Gansmeyer is not here. So for the for those of us who didn't attend the, uh, it's the translation and localization conference yeah. in Warsaw. Yes. Uh, which just took place uh, last weekend, I think. So for those of us who didn't have the privilege of being there, can you just give us a flavor of, of what happened? I mean, how many people were there? Is it a huge conference? Is it a small conference? What was what was interesting for interpreters? We were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. I know. What, what did you talk about? Maybe you, the two of you can give us a, a quick uh, flavor. Okay, we had, I think the conference had maybe a couple of hundred people, Valeria, my guesswork is not great with numbers i think it was roughly 200 but possibly a bit more i wouldn't be able to confirm numbers for sure but so don't take mm. my words for that but it's definitely more than 150 so roughly 200 i would say and i would say in the interpreting room we were about 30 or 40 which is a really good attendance for an interpreting talk basically if you want to know what i talk, talked about you listen to the last troublesome Terps podcast and you, you get the gist of it. Um, but one of the things that I thought about was the interpreters need to learn to be honest. So I'm not telling too much away because this is going to be part of an upcoming in, interpreter training course, which I'm doing, which I'll announce once it's ready to be announced. Um, but I was getting people to be honest and to assess where they are in their career and in their personal lives because the two mesh. Um, and then look at who can we link arms with to help us grow. So, for instance, if I wanted to to learn about growing my social media presence or my marketing, I would talk to Valeria. Thank if I you. wanted to look at business, um, learn growing my business strategy, it'd be Marta Stelmashak. If I wanted to learn about presenting myself on podcasts and being able to network with the greats, it'd be, be Alexander Drexel. Um, there's always mm. someone. <laughs> so we. Our egos are pleased now. So we, we, we have a super connected, super expert industry. And I think the, the gist of my talk was build your support team, support each other. And if you have a hole in your team, fill the gap. Um, and and that was that was what I tried to get across. Now, Valeria's talk, I'll let her talk about because Valeria's talk made me smile the entire way through. Okay, now you have to tell us more, Valeria. Yes, I was counting on your on your hand as a, you know, sort of a, an agitator or mediator because I, I wasn't sure who will attend. So, and my, my talk wasn't designed to be directed to people who knew nothing about it, but not entirely to people who knew all about it. So it was destined to be for everyone, hopefully. So I mm. had to adapt based on the people there. And 
I realized that more or less they were all interpreters, but some of them were very young or starting out and some others were, you know, a bit more experienced. So, but in very varied and different uh, sort of ranges of, of uh, situations. So someone who worked in court mainly, some others who were simultaneous interpreters, but um, there was a bit of a, of a variety. So uh, to be honest, um, I was trying to make sure that people who, thought that they knew what other interpreters are doing uh, could mm. expand their view. So realizing that there are so many other things that interpreters do, I mean, situations where they actually interpret that others are not aware of. So it's not only court, it's not only conferences. There's so many other things that mm. we do. And I, I explain, I always joke and I say, uh, I interpreted on a racing car, <laughs> uh, on a boat, uh, on a plane. I did, you know, that, that's things okay. I've done. So, um, um, last week I was, um, I was in a local college here talking to 15 year old girls and I was trying mm -hmm. to make sure that they understand the importance of, uh, of interpreting and of translation to make sure that they actually realize there's so many options they can, they can think of in work wise. And they were all impressed by the, the many, things the the variety of options that this this job can give you um and in a way yeah. with the audience at tlc i saw that some people had no idea or at least they didn't tell me openly but I, they were kind of surprised of all the things that they do but they never thought mm -hmm. they were doing so it was refreshing to see how <laughs> it was a bit of a way to confirm how we rock the world i mean it was a bit of a self <laughs> you know self-assuring self-recognizing yeah. talk um, but it was good to see that everyone was actually involved. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that interpreters are like the most powerful people in the room when we work. And if that doesn't scare people slightly, they don't know what interpreters do for a living. <laughs> yeah, there's so many options, so many situations where the actual conversation yeah. wouldn't happen. And I, I think that's that's something that TLC does very well. I mean, the keynote this year was a man called David Peterson who creates languages for a living. I mean, personally, having been an interpreter for eight years, I'm sure he's been feeding terminology to my clients just before I get into the booth because of the amount of mm -hmm. obviously made up terminology. But he kind of launched it to us by showing us the, the breadth of what he has to do. Um, and it, there was such a mix of people. The one that really struck me was they had a workshop on search engine optimization, which I knew I needed to know about, but I didn't realize how much of it is common sense and how much of it is thinking like a client. Um, and I know that's something we'll, we'll, we'll get onto later mm. in the show, but learning to think like a client is one of the things that I think TLC does very well. They actually invite translation and interpreting clients there to do talks. And there's something bracing about having someone who's buying your services on the program going to do a talk. If that if that doesn't make you want to go to TLC, I'm not sure what does, because where else where else do you meet those people in such a relaxed atmosphere where they've got good coffee and incredible cookies? Yeah, coffee was great. Um, I just wanted to add <laughs> that um, I was supposed to come, well, to go to Warsaw on Thursday night because the conference was going to take place on Friday and uh, uh, Saturday. But in the end, you know what? For a job, I had to come on a Friday morning. So I missed the talk on Dothraki, unfortunately. But um, I believe it was amazing. Everyone said it was smashing. So, um, But yeah, I mean, I had to cancel, you know, change the flight and um, just land at lunch and give the talk in the afternoon. That's why I was shattered. So um, I hope I didn't show 
you know, my tiredness, but um, apparently I didn't. So that's good. Uh, w- one of the things that I would like to say is talking to Marta at the conference, um, there's actually a need for people who can speak on interpreting, but in a way that even translators can understand. I mean, most interpreters nowadays seem to do a translation as well, but there does seem to be a shortage of interpreting speakers who can do more than just, here's how you do simultaneous. Um, Our job is so entertaining and hilarious, and we actually need more people to go to these kind of conferences and say, I tell you what, let's do a talk on humor and interpreting and translation, not how you translate that stuff, but the importance of it. You know, let's do a talk on mental health. Let's do a talk on, oh, someone please go to TLC and do a talk on how to keep your throat healthy. You'll have every interpreter in the world at your talk. Um, I'll be in the front row, probably not screaming, but, but but I, I think that kind of, the, the, the kind of people who can see interpreting in the wider context and who can say something that clients will want to listen to as well, um, they're actually relatively rare. Um, I've met a few people who I think I want to hear them speak. And, and there are one or two speakers who I refer to I would quite happily listen to all day long, but there aren't that many. And maybe, maybe, maybe TLC is a reminder that interpreters need public speaking training as well and training on how to present our work to people who might have never heard of it before. I was going to say that. So um, you read minds too now. <laughs> I think that actually it's it's very good for people in general. So any any industry, any anyone to go and listen to public speaking speakers. Sorry for the pun, but um, sure. especially if you're an interpreter, I believe that it's very important to know how to use your voice and not only projecting the tone of your voice, but also uh, pronouncing clearly, as we said in the in the talk, if you remember. Yeah. Jonathan, but also hmm. um, try to engage and, and present. So in that way, you could probably leverage on what you're listening to to improve your own way of speaking, even when you're in the booth. So I think it's key to go and listen to bad speakers and good speakers alike <laughs> to know why you differ or why you don't. Interesting you should say that because both Valeria and I will be in Prague for the BP16 conference in April and the um, talk that I've been asked to do is I'm actually giving a a public speaking workshop and rather than talking about just using your voice, I'm talking about uh, things like honing your message, crafting a talk and now I'm actually adding a new section after TLC on ways to use your own experience to connect with you with your audience. So anyone who hasn't booked yet, I believe that tickets are still available. Um, if you look up BP16 Conference Prague, you will find it. And if you're an interpreter, you are allowed to take a few days off work to come to Prague to meet Valeria and I. And I can't remember, Valeria is speaking as well. So it, it's I've, the lineup is superb. I've seen some of the people on the list. And some of those people, I would pay the entrance fee just to see them. I think it's uh, about 160 people registered so far the last time I checked. And uh, just to do a bit of a shameless plug, my talk is about, um, it's about transcreation and copywriting. So why bad translation uh, uh, is just like bad coffee. (laughs) 
<laughs> Both keep you awake at night. <laughs> That's a very good analogy. Yes. Yeah. So I'll put the link to the BP16 into the show notes so people who haven't signed up should definitely sign up sign up and, and attend. Uh, Prague is always worth a visit. And uh, if it's an opportunity to meet colleagues, uh, all the better. Uh, I wanted to ask you two, uh, a question to, uh, to sort of close up on, on the conference coverage. Um, you said there, were, there weren't too many interpreters. So from, from your point of view, um, which was the, the best or the most interesting or most revealing talk that was not at all about interpreting, but that you still found interesting? And we'll start with uh, Valeria. I think, well, it's going to sound really cheesy, but I think that um, Jonathan was really interesting in his, in his way of presenting. So um, it was a different approach to, I wasn't expecting that talk to be like that at all. So that was a mm. good surprise, like a nice way to um, to talk about something that, you know, um, I know very well because I know interpreting, but I never thought about a network, like a safety network of people you can rely on. So uh, mm-hmm. while it was it was very Christian-based and you recognize that. Um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough. But it was... It was something that I, I really wasn't expecting it to be like that. So the the circle at the end, and I won't reveal, reveal much more, but the circle at the end with the honesty moment was um, something that I, I, I'm not normally keen on, but I felt that it was, you know, I could really be honest and tell you that I was really tired and shattered. So I guess, you know, that was the, the one that was striking the most for me. Um, and then the... There was another one on, on multicultural um, multicultural moments for interpreters and, and the way mm-hmm. that immigrants are shaping countries these days. And there, was, yeah. there, there were lots of bits and pieces that could be interesting for discussion. So that was also nice. I think you missed it, Jonathan. I, I went to one of, one of the multicultural talks. The one that really struck me is they had a, a professional... I think she's a content strategist rather than a content manager. Um, I think her name is Rahel Ann Bailey. And what she was talking about was learning the importance of selling content and selling the translation of content to clients. And she doesn't herself write the content. She creates the systems for clients so that, for instance, their website is consistent with their right. manual, which is consistent with their sales, what their sales team are saying and so on. Um, and she was talking about how if you strip the content out of a website, you don't know what to do. And content is everything, but that means that your content has to be culturally specific as well. And although that wasn't aimed at interpreters, I actually think that was a lot of, there was a lot of really good uh, stuff in there about sales, about how you approach clients, about how you show your value to clients, which is something I'm becoming more interested in. But I think what she really, where she really hit the nail on the head was this thing of clients can be doing something and not understanding why what they're doing doesn't work. I mean, you have the classic thing of interpreting on how many clients have said to us during an assignment, oh, it's okay, I'll just do my talk in English. And every single interpreter goes, we know that won't work. (laughs) And and by halfway through, you feel like coming out of the booth and just saying, it's okay, we do speak other languages. But she's she's in a position where she can say to clients, you know, having your website just in English, it doesn't work. And here's why. And she'll pull the figures and the stats out. And there's maybe something to be said in interpreting for, do we need to gather more information so that when we're talking to clients, and I really hope we get to this soon, but when we're talking to clients, we make a compelling case, not just for having someone in the booth but for letting that someone do their job 
and being allowing people to be free to speak their native whichever language they're most comfortable in their native language and showing them that that's where the results are in trusting us to do our jobs where they do theirs more effectively unfortunately sometimes um especially in big corporations and especially top management oh. are forced to speak in one language so um i find the problem especially with french or spanish even Italian who speak in English and they have a, a good variety, a good vocabulary. So they know, they know what they're talking about, but the accent and the pronunciation and the tone is, is not adapted. It's not localized. So it's very hard to follow mm. for everyone, especially if there's a lot of relay involved, a lot of booth involved and they just have to speak in English because that's, that's what they are expected to do. So as, sometimes it's nothing you can change, but in some other cases, yeah, mm. in a more, commercial and less governmental situation maybe you can do that so yeah it's a bit of a fight we need to fight but yeah um i understand and i agree with you of course it kind of reminded me of uh renzi your prime minister who has a bit of a history with trying to speak english right next topic please <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, we don't want to get political on the podcast. So I'd rather we, we never uh, get political in this podcast. No, not at all. Uh it's actually quite convenient that we have the two of you on on the same podcast because uh not only did you attend the uh, the translation and localization conference in Warsaw, you also collaborated on uh, uh Jonathan's book, which is a bit of a running gag on the podcast, but uh, I I'd really like to get into this for a moment. Um, so, uh, maybe Jonathan, you can tell us a little bit, um, well, we talked about your book, but maybe tell us a little bit about how, uh, Valeria's approach and how her work fit in, into the book. Tell us. Well, I, I, I want to be as quick as I can because Valeria is the expert. I was writing the book and one of the things that I realized, if you read chapter one of the book, out May the 12th and all EU countries, um, but if you read chapter one, you have this thing of me arguing that interpreters have been mis-selling our services for about 50 years. We've been selling ourselves as computers, as super accurate, as neutral, and it turns out that none of us are actually that ever, not even in court. And so I, I came early to this idea that we need to rebrand and remarket interpreting for what it actually is, for the difference that it makes. And the more I, I looked at that and the more I started writing that chapter, pulling on previous work, pulling on research... I started realizing that I'm not the expert. You know, I can show people research and I can point to things, but there, there are very few people who know interpreting and also know marketing well enough to understand what the, the current branding of interpreting is, um, how interpreters may be failing themselves in their branding and their awareness of basic issues like color and layout and design. And to give us ideas to move forward. So in the first name, and I'm not kidding you, the first name that came into my head was Valerius. Every chapter of the book has an interview with, with someone different. You know, if I mention um, branding, who's the first person who comes to your head? If I mention cooperation across different forms of interpreting, who's the first name who comes into your head? That's what I tried to do. With the interview, I wanted to give Valeria as much space as I could. In this chapter, I am so not the expert, it's not even funny, you know, I'll do the basics of why we need to rebrand and then give it to Valeria and say, okay, how do we rebrand interpreting? Um, and that was, that's the one that still sticks in my head that I still think we need Valeria to kind of fly the flag and say, guys, this is how we do it. Um, because interpreting needs to change. Otherwise, we'll be replaced by computers and it will be our own fault. 
It's not the first time that someone tells me that, and you'll be surprised because someone told me exactly that the the rebranding thing in a completely different environment. When I, um, you may remember that I recently went to the uh, um, Translating Europe Forum in Brussels, and uh, someone was talking about the importance of, of translation and the the, the way that. Um, the industry is perceived by clients and the way, you know, the content may vary uh, when it goes from one year to the other. And um, at the end of the talk, um, they were talking about the fact that branding is also important. And because I just gave the talk about it, um, the person on, on the panel told me, right, so why doesn't, you know, where's Valeria in the audience? She should brand <laughs> you know, the industry. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, a, you know, no out, pressure. Of, out of the body, you know, situation <laughs> where in yeah. front of 500 people and how many, you know, people I don't know online, someone is just naming me to rebrand the industry. So that happened. It <laughs> happened. So it it, never was. it's not your idea anymore. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I guess we, we have to do it now. Yeah. So I've been called. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't know where to start because there's so many so many aspects, and I'm not going to reveal much of what I said in the book, of course. But I believe it's um it's something that starts with personal personal approach. So each each person is different, each freelancer, each interpreter is different. So they they will need to know mm-hmm. what they want from their branding. So obviously, it can't be an individual standalone effort if we want to rebrand the entire business and the entire industry. But it can definitely mm-hmm. start from single people trying to at least uh, communicate to others what they are. I mean, if it took me four years to convince my parents of the difference between translation and interpreting, you know, it can <laughs> oh, <yeah>. certainly <laughs> take uh, you know the same time or maybe less now to... Um, to start educating clients on on the importance. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but there's still people out there who have no clue. So we could start from the simple branding graphically, so the the, the graphic robe, if you want, uh, of yeah. the interpreters, and then going into the actual details of the value and um, of the service and on the, the the importance of hiring just professionals, blah blah blah. So mm, um, right. I think it's a it's a multifaceted topic that we'll need to uh, analyze. What intrigues me the question how you how you got into branding. I guess I mean was that something that you found particularly interesting about the profession, or did you did you work in uh, I don't know marketing or, or uh, content strategy before? It's a very easy. Uh, very easy question to answer. Um, I've always liked art and design in general, but design mm. can be anything. So from fashion to um, pictures to photography, so anything, anything right. that looks aesthetically beautiful, I've always been drawn to it. But I never, I never done too much about it because I'm an interpreter. So that was my other big passion. So um, I've always had a little bit of a taste for colors, you know, how to match things or it can translate and sorry for the pun, but it can translate different <laughs> things. So the way you dress or the way you, you choose a car, I mean, anything. Um, but then my partner is a, is a web designer. So uh, I guess that's mm. where I took it. So I just already had the passion and I just were exposed to this in, in mm. the house. So I guess that's how it happened. And I would assume, Jonathan, that, that you got what you wanted out of the uh, contribution from Valeria. I'm assuming so. <laughs> it will be months and months of no 
explanation why. So, yeah, I guess so. I, I got far more than I bargained for, and I think what has made me realize is that this branding thing, I was thinking, you know, um, it, it would be kind of three points all beginning with P that we can go home and do. But actually, when it comes to branding and image, um, on a personal level, it's quite complex because I, I'm just finishing the... Uh, just finishing off my the new version of my website, of my business website, and I realized when you talk to a professional designer, they ask you questions that you don't expect. So they ask you questions like, what differentiates you from other interpreters? And you're like, um, I... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I'm good. <laughs> um, but, but they also ask you questions, and one, I'm working with a, a copywriter for the About section of my website because I realize how important that is. And one of the questions she asked me was, who do you want to read your website? Now, the obvious answer is someone who's going who's going to want... Everyone. Yeah, everyone, or anyone who wants interpreting. Who's going to pay me. But then she said, okay... What? Who would be your dream clients? And thankfully, I've been following a list. Um, there's an industry that I want to interpret for, and I've been following the list of their um, one, uh, 250 most influential professionals in their industry and their 100 most um, influential agencies. So I was able to to give her a list of, of kind of 100 people and say, I want 5, 7, and 11. And she can then look at their brand and how they talk and go, right, now I understand what's going to make them tick. Um, and we almost... I realize now that branding is so complex because what will work for my website probably wouldn't work for Valeria's or Alex Gansmar's because we're probably not aiming at the same clients. I mean, I don't really want to work for Vidal Sassoon. <laughs> and so, you know, if my branding is based on fashion, where one, they would never invite me anyway, but two, it would probably fail because that's not the clientele I'm after. Um, I believe that branding is such a... Um, uh, branding is just one word, but there's so many... Uh, subcategories inside it so branding is I always say when I when I speak about is at talks and, and events uh, I'm no designer so um, branding is it's also all the rest of uh, elements that gravitate around the actual logo so it's the brand voice is the way you write an email is the way you greet a client in person when you when you see them for the first time is is the way you measure uh, your words it can be anything it can be the skirt i'm wearing today it can be the way i perceive or read so it's so so more complex than one people what one person can expect and you could just uh, analyze lots and lots of different factors to create your own brand to create your own voice so um, i guess you do need more than one person you need the designer you need the copywriter you need the brand expert you need anything mm. of this it's in one um, under one category of branding. So we could talk for hours, but maybe not today. Yeah, I think that's the, the problem that I sort of uh, used to have with branding because uh, when I hear the word branding, it, it, it sort of comes across as, I don't know, maybe phony or sort of fake, but I think that's not really, mm. that's not really what it's about. Yeah. Be, no. um, I think, uh, I mean, that's how some companies, I think, do it, yeah. especially bigger companies. But I think if you do it that way, you're probably doing it wrong, right? There's a lot of misperception on what it is. Uh, most of people think it's uh, having a good flashy logo and that's it. But definitely is not. So I, I got a really interesting comment when I was in TLC. There was a, a lady there who I've only met 
at TLC conferences. And she came up to me and she gave me the best compliment ever. She said, you know, I read all of your blog posts, which is already nice. And she said, you're exactly the same in person as you are in print. And I thought, yes. I had the same once, and it's the most amazing thing that people can tell you. They told me that I come across exactly as I am online, so that I'm, I'm, I'm exactly transmitting what I, you know, what she was expecting me to be, and um, she was pleased to not be disappointed. So it was really amazing. Yeah, I think that's what I was trying to get at, right? I mean, it's not like you're trying to pretend to be someone else. It's it's sort of developing what what is unique. Yeah. Uh, about yourself, I guess. Well, the, the, this is the thing. I mean, I have learned not to hide the fact that I am a really over-the-edge geek. I am I am a, a self-confessed interpreting geek. And so I know when I do talks, when I write, um, if I try to hide that and try to become something else, then I'm betraying the brand. And we've all had instances where we've maybe read someone's work or we've heard about them and then we meet them and we think you're totally not the same uh, i remember my, my wife once met someone and went and said they're completely different to the way i imagined them oh. now sometimes that's just their brain being weird but yeah it's it's hmm. just the most awful sensation when you meet this person as well not when it's you because I can't even imagine how that feels, you know, if you meet somebody like, you know, I just give you the example of an actress or an actor. You meet somebody and you're so disappointed because they're not like the latest character they impersonated. Yeah. And, you just, you know, it's that kind of groupy situation. Uh, but it's yeah. it's kind of the same when you meet somebody you met on Twitter and they just, um, you know, they click online with you, but then you meet them in person and no. They're not the same person. So mm. it's, I think it's one of the worst feelings when it happened. And unfortunately, it did happen a few times with me, uh, for, for me when I met people. Um, so I'm glad that they don't have this perception of myself. Um, <laughs> but I think I, got, I beat you because I got the most uh, amazing, the other most amazing comment at the TLC conference. This uh, colleague came to me and she asked me, oh, I love your skirt. Is this Dior? <laughs> like no, it's not. But thank you. So yes, it was really. I was really pleased with the achievement that I had. Yeah, you know, that and with that skirt. So sorry, but I win. Now, now, now you see. To be fair, there is no way that I'm ever going to be complicated uh, complimented on the skirt that I'm wearing. No. Well, you never know. Maybe skirts suit you. <laughs> The kilt suit you, maybe. Who knows? Well, I, I have thought of presenting an account. I think one of the things on kind of branding that has really caught my eye, and which is where Valeria's work caught my eye, is that there are, what, thousands of interpreters online. And for clients, they don't know the difference between um, is it, is it, and an easy chair. You know, they, they really don't know where's a good place, where's a bad place. For some clients, aik is what you say when you hurt when you hammer your thumb. <laughs> so you know it's it's a the question that I always have in my head now is how does an interpreter stand out in a world where the people who are buying your services most likely don't know about your services and where there are literally thousands of people like you all trying to get clients. What what makes a, a brand stand out that a client will go yeah I want I want them. Well, I think it all depends on what you're offering. I always say, you know, that I wouldn't be suited for some sort of jobs. And, um, you know, I have it very clear what my limits are. Um, in the same way, uh, it, when I give these talks on branding, I, I always make it clear that, 
not necessarily you need to have a very flashy website or a very flashy you know creative name maybe that's not you so um clients choose a certain person because they they think alike or they think they go well or well along with this person so i always believe that if you if you stand out for some reason whatever it may be obviously good reasons then if you work and you don't know how to do your job then you know it will resolve in something bad for you but the, the client will know they made a mistake despite your flash, flashy logo so everything in italian we say that every every knock comes to the comb right so uh, mm-hmm. everything will come out and if you if you rubbish at your job it will come out anyway so uh, it's good to stand out first and then prove yourself if you if you even good then great you you at least you get mm-hmm. remembered for something that gets you closer to the clients you want to to target so I'm I'm not working much in court these days. Um, I don't do financial. I don't do medical. So probably you won't find uh, anything mm. that interests you on my website or my profiles if you're a medical client. So it's easy as that. So I think that there's a, a niche and a client for everyone. And I, I think that's one of the things where I was so glad that my copywriter asked me, you know, what specific clients do you want? Um, being able to say, okay, these are the clients that I want. These are the, you know, there are certain areas of interpreting. No freelancer that I know can afford to specialize, but there are certain areas where I would prefer to work in. And knowing them helps you get into the mind of your client because you start researching your possible clients and you think, well, hold on a minute, you know, I, I love um, anything to do with press and PR and public facing events. Well, instantly, that kind of client is thinking certain things in their head. Um, and so you have to say, okay, well, actually, that kind of client probably wants someone who's got a proven track record of delivering those things themselves as well. So they've been both sides of the microphone. Um, and understanding, okay, if you were a client in that industry, forget degrees. No one cares about degrees. They're important, but clients don't look for them. What's a client actually looking for? Because they don't know how interpreters qualify. They don't even know that we qualify. Um, and I think it's refreshing to get someone like Valeria who can help you get into a client's head um, and has so clearly gotten into her client's heads and her website that it, it makes sense. Um, but it's an exercise for interpreters that I don't know about you two, but I find I still find it very, very difficult to do that exercise and not tie myself in knots. Yeah, maybe we can use that as sort of a, a final question to round things off is is uh, not necessarily on the individual interpreter's level, but for the profession uh, as a whole. Is there something that, where you would say this has to happen or this has to stop maybe in order to improve the reputation of the profession or in order to make it, um, well, I guess, easier um, to convince people of the of the usefulness of having an interpreter, or of having someone who can facilitate multilingual uh, communication, uh, Valeria, maybe. I think that um, video is the future. Mm-hmm. So um, we could just start recording videos of ourselves doing the job, of ourselves explaining why mm. clients are more successful when they have a good interpreter that they can rely on how it works. Where do we stand? What do we physically do when we interpret? How does the mind work? Why is it a physical and a mental job? So all things that people have no idea about. 
And I think that, you know, the curiosity of listening to videos, people are drawn to videos like cats and dogs and, you know, stuff like that, memes, you know, we could do something like that. So they will just um, raise awareness like we would do for AIDS or anything else. We can do it for interpreting. Visuals are uh, something that people want to watch. So not very long videos, but five minutes video, three minutes video. So I guess we could do something like that. Not necessarily only that, but that could be an option at least to convince people of why um, this job is so important. If anyone is organizing a TEDx event and is looking for a speaker, I would love to do that talk at a TEDx event. Um, my big thing at the moment, and I will probably get in trouble for this, but oh, I yes. like getting in trouble sometimes, is yes. I think we should stop <laughs> selling accurate interpreting. Because it's like selling, it's like have, trying to sell a car and telling people they should buy it because it contains an engine. Hmm. Oh, um, but it dismays me how many interpreters online and even translators do it as well, their number one selling point is, I'm accurate. Yeah. What? (laughs) If that's your number one selling point. So yeah, let's stop selling accurate interpreting. I always ask what what people want to be associated with, and I always get quality, reliable, professional. Accurate. Yeah, accurate. Neutral. I mean, come on. So that's, that's another thing. I mean, you just need to have so many qualities, not only be bilingual or do, you know, knowing two languages. So it's like saying that, I don't know, uh, again, if you, if you know a little bit of medicine because you studied at a university, you can, you know, uh, you can do anything. I mean, it's, it's, you're not a superhero just because you know two languages. You can be, you know, takes much more. This is just a suggestion. I wonder what Valeria will think of this. I wonder if it's time to talk openly about how interpreters make a difference. Because at the end of the day, I wonder if what clients are looking for is getting their money's worth and feeling that they that they've gotten more out for, that their spend on interpreting has given them more back than they actually invested. Yes, I think it does because if you think about all the deals they wouldn't close. Uh, once I interpreted for somebody who said they chose me for various reasons and uh, um, they chose me because I was a woman and I was a bit taken aback at first. I'm like, how <laughs> sexist is that? And then yeah. actually they explained that it makes so much sense that you wouldn't believe it. They said that um, tension is a very important factor in every meeting where you close millions and millions of deals and uh, when you fire people or when you you know, lay off uh, 3,000 people because you close a factory. So those kind of very important meetings that can be, you know, with ministers or whoever you want, but they wanted someone who could mediate and um, and lower the tension. So that's why they needed a woman. So sorry, guys, but, you know, we, we ran the world. <laughs> but apart from that, that's also something that may be a very good point, very good selling point. So saying that the figure of the interpreter is not an impediment, that most people think it is, um, but it's actually um, a way to uh, make the flow of communication flow better. So sorry again for the pun, but I like repeating myself. I, I, if anyone starts selling uh, either a superhero outfit for interpreters or a t-shirt that says interpreters make a difference, I think we should all start buying them. Maybe we should have like a charity sale, have an, a t-shirt that says interpreters make a difference, sell it for charity and get as many interpreters to wear it 
until we understand it ourselves. It's why I love chatting to Valeria because she always inspires me with branding and rebranding ideas. Aww. <laughs> I think interpreters as superhero is my trademark now, so we need to we need to patent that. So cool. Yeah, I think we should definitely turn that into a t-shirt. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, Valeria, it was really great to have you on the podcast this time around. We didn't even talk about style too much, so we still need to... We can always keep that for another time, because we can probably talk about that for, for quite a while, and <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let you go for tonight. Um, thank you very much for sharing the experience from the conference as well. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Troublesome Turfs. We'll be back very soon. And uh, you'll find us online. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.